Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, and chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. The Lord was attentive to, to Sarah, just as he had said, and the Lord carried out just what he had promised her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham when he was old, at the very time God had told him. Abraham named his son, the one that Sarah bore him, Isaac. After these events, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. Abraham answered, I'm here. God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him up as an entirely burned offering there on one of the mountains that I will show you. Abraham got up early in the morning, harnessed his donkey, and took two of his young men with him together with his son Isaac. He split the wood for the entirely burned offering, set out, and went to the place God had described to him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place at a distance. Abraham said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will walk up there, worship, and then come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the entirely burned offering and laid it on his son Isaac. He took the fire and the knife in his hand, and the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father? Abraham said, I'm here, my son. Isaac said, Here is the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the entirely burned offering? Abraham said, The lamb for the entirely burned offering? God will see to it, my son. The two of them walked on together. They arrived at the place God had described to him. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He tied up his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. But the Lord's messenger called out to Abraham from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, I'm here. The messenger said, Don't stretch out your hand against the young man, and don't do anything to him. I now know that you revere God, and didn't hold back your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looked up and saw a single ram caught by its horns in the dense underbrush. Abraham went over, took the ram, and offered it as an entirely burned offering instead of his son. Abraham named that place the Lord Sees. That is the reason people today say, On this mountain the Lord is seen. Here ends the reading. When, uh, when I was living in, in Berkeley, uh, this was probably, I guess, seven years ago now, eight years ago, I was living in Berkeley, California, and I was going to seminary there at the time, and I was... I was um, working as a software engineer in San Francisco. And you know, I'm from Austin, Texas, and, and uh, we certainly have people who are experiencing homelessness in Austin, Texas. 
but the number of people who are experiencing homelessness in the San Francisco Bay Area is much higher, much higher than, than Austin, uh, partially because the weather is nice, um, and so there's not the, uh, the high heat or the, or the uh, low cold that we get in, in Austin sometimes, uh, not as many serious weather events and things. Partially because just the the uh, number of people living in the Bay is so much more. And so, you know, the percentages make, make for more people. But anyway, as I would walk, I would walk from my home to the train station, and then I would take the train into San Francisco, and then I would walk from the train station to work. About, about a half an hour walk to work, about a half an hour walk back every day. And I would pass in San Francisco along my route, I would pass many people who um, were experiencing homelessness. Folks in the train station, folks on the on the street, um, just all over the place. And um, you know, when you see it every day, when you when you experience it every day, it begins to um, it begins to make you hard. It begins to make you uh, kind of immune to the feeling of empathy that at least I had when I first saw these people who were experiencing homelessness in this way. And so you get to the point where you just kind of try to avoid them. Um, you know, you, you, you get tired of being asked every day for, for a donation or for something. And uh, this was something that I was, I was grappling with because I was coming, really coming to terms uh, at this time, really living into my, my Christian faith and what that meant and what it would mean for me to be a minister in the future and to be seen as as someone of the church and what that would mean for for these kinds of things and you know at the same time I my job really didn't pay me enough for my, our living expenses we, we were living in the red uh, the entire time we were there it's part of the reason why we ended up moving back to Austin after only a year we just had a hard time making ends meet despite the fact that I was working a, a high-paying job as a you know, software engineer so I wasn't sure how much money we could actually spare, and I wasn't sure if, if giving money to these folks directly would be the best way to go about it, if it would be better to give money to an organization that could be sure that the money was being used for the best possible uh, purposes. But I remember one interaction. Um, actually, I remember two interactions. I remember two interactions um, that were especially meaningful to me. One that made me happy, and, and one that that broke my heart. And, um, well, I guess they both broke my heart in some way. The first was that there was a woman, uh, an older woman, and uh, she was asking for, for help, you know, on the street, asking for, you know, for any help. And I didn't have any money to give her. I really didn't. I didn't have any, any cash to give her. But I just stopped and, and faced her and... and you know, and said, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I don't have anything for you today. Um, you know, but I hope you, I hope you're, you know, you do okay. And she was so shocked by the fact that I had even stopped that she exclaimed. She was like, "You stopped!" I mean, she was, she was surprised. And I was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have anything to give you." And she said, "That's okay. That's okay. At least you stopped. At least you saw me." And she asked me for a hug, and so I gave her a hug. And, and she was crying a little bit, and and then we went, I, you know, we went our separate ways, and that was it. And that really, you know, it broke. It was 
hurt me that, that people are living in this situation, but it also touched me that, that I had made some kind of a difference, even if it wasn't a financial difference in the woman's life. And there was another time when I was rushing home from work. I had, been, I had worked late. It was, it was getting to be evening, um, you know, past dinner time. I was hungry. I was rushing home, trying to get to the train station, and I passed a man, and, and he asked for a handout, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't have any money, which was true. I didn't, I didn't have any cash. I don't have any money. And he said, that's okay. Can we go in right here? Because we were right in front of a, of a uh, hamburger place. He said, can we go in right here and could you buy me a, a hamburger? And I was in such a rush and everything. I said, no, I'm sorry. I, I, just, I can't. And I went on. And that interaction um, still haunts me, to be honest, because the man just wanted some food. Like I, and I had, I could have stopped. I could have stopped. I could have spent half an hour. What would have been the difference for me to spend half an hour to stop and make sure this man had a meal? I think that this reading that we have um, today is one of the most difficult readings in all of the Bible, to be honest. I, I feel like it's, it's hard for us to read, it's hard for us to understand what's going on, it's hard for us to, to see um, how God is good in this reading, if you will. I think that a lot of folks um, would rather just kind of ignore it or write it off or think of it as allegory. And certainly it could be allegory. There was a change happening at the time that the, the Israelites were coming together and were building their community. There was a change happening in, in the region, a movement away from human sacrifice to, to animal sacrifice, supposedly. I don't know the details, but supposedly. But I think trying to say this is an allegory for that, um, and we hear about that, and then we talk when they talk about uh, the followers of Molech, other parts of the Old Testament. But I think that you know if we th we think about this as being just an allegory to that, we we miss a lot of the point of the story, we miss a lot of the power of the story. the The truth of the story is that God had come to Abraham, and we've missed you know in our readings, of course, we have to skip large sections. And we come back to them. So last year we didn't have this story. We had a different story about Abraham, and next year we'll have a different story about Abraham. But in the in the space between these two readings, so Abraham is an old man, and and two angels come to him, and they tell him that 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 he will have a, a son, and uh, his wife Sarah laughs because she's very old and she's there's no way she can bear a child. And yet, nonetheless, within a year. They have a child, and Abraham loves him because um, he's the he's the child of his old age that you know that he didn't think he would have, and Sarah loves him because she didn't think that she could have children either, and so they they name him Isaac, and he is their most precious, the most precious thing in their in their life. And God makes a promise to Abraham. God promises him that. It's through Isaac that Abraham's descendants will come to number as the stars in the sky or the sand on the beach. And so God has promises to Abraham. And so Abraham has complete faith in God that God will, 
will make this promise come true, that through Isaac, God will make Abraham's descendants numerous as the stars, numerous as the sand. And so it's in this context that we have this, this kind of sudden story. This story where all of a sudden, God comes to, to, to Abraham and says, you know, Abraham, take your son, your beloved son, your only son, and, and kill him as a sacrifice to God. And shockingly, at least for, for me and for modern readers, I'm sure, shockingly, Abraham says, okay. And he gets his son together and they go out and they're walking. You know, he has his son carry the wood that he's going to use to burn his son's body after he kills him. And they're walking up the hill and his son, who has taken part in many such offerings of, of rams and, and things in the past, you know, says to his father, where, where is the ram? Where, you know, we, we brought the wood and the fire and the knife. We didn't bring the offering. Where's the offering? And God tells him, I mean, uh, Abraham tells him, uh, God will provide. God will provide the ram. Abraham has complete faith in God. Abraham believes that God has promised him these descendants through Isaac. And Abraham knows that for him, everything comes from God. And so if God tells him that he should do this, then that's what he has to do. And he goes up onto the onto the mountain and he ties his son up, which I can't imagine what that would be like for Isaac. He ties his son up and puts him on top of the wood, stretches out his hand with a knife to kill his only son. And the angels call to him and stop him from doing it. And then he looks over and he sees a ram that God has provided for the offering instead. Now, there's a lot of dangerous precedent in this story, things that we have to be careful about. It's very easy for us to see God's uh, demands on us in many places, in places where we want them to be. It's easy for us to see God testing us where we want to see God testing us. It gives us a reason to think that the bad things we're going through maybe aren't so bad. And that's a good thing, to, to feel hope those situations, but we have to be careful about it. There's an, you know, one of the big problems of theology, of Christianity, of religion in general, really, is how can there be a God, uh, and yet a lot of good God, a God who is all love and, and goodness, who allows such evil things to happen in the world? This problem, um, which theologians call the problem of theodicy, that this problem occurs, uh, is brought up over and over again by people throughout all, all of human history, but especially in the history of Christianity. How is this possible? And this story, along with stories like Job and some of the songs we, sing, we see in Psalms, really point to our struggle with this, our struggle with this idea of how come bad things happen to us when we do everything right. We do everything that we think God desires of us. And one of the common responses to this is, well, all those bad things that are happening, that's God testing us, testing our faith. And 
many of the folks uh, in the in the seminary circles and and places that I that I went to certainly would say that that is that's not a good answer. That that God is testing us is not a good answer because it makes God into um, someone who does bad things on purpose just to test people to see if they'll if they'll do whatever God says. And yet that seems to be what the story tells us. You know, the angel says, you know, I didn't know before, but now I do. Now I know that you really trust God. You know, the story tells us also something kind of interesting, that God, that God's mind, I guess, God's understanding can change, and that we have, have real um, choices to make in the world. We are not deterministic beings um, already whose who's every path is already decided for us. We have our own free will because Abraham could have said, no, I won't sacrifice Isaac. He's my only son. I love him. He told me he was going to bring on my descendants. I, I can't sacrifice him. And then God would have known, of course, that Abraham didn't really trust God. But... In this case, Abraham did trust God. So we do see this kind of narrative. We see this narrative of God wanting to be sure of Abraham's motives. Wanting to be sure that Abraham really does trust God. And so God asks him to do an unthinkable thing. And then, at the last moment, God stops him from actually doing the unthinkable thing and provides a way out of the situation. And I think this is also part of the narrative. It's important. I think this is part of the narrative that, that of how we can understand the crucifixion and the resurrection, how Paul understood many things when he was writing his epistles. This idea that God tests, God um, asks us to do difficult things that we feel are beyond our ability, and yet at the same time, God provides for us. God provides what we need to be able to do those things. And again, it's a tricky idea. If we're not careful, it can lead into an idea of victim blaming. It can lead into, you know, oh, well, someone's life is bad because they haven't been faithful to God. Or, um, you know, oh, this person must really be, God must really be testing them. Um, you know, we must keep our empathy. We must keep our compassion. But this narrative tells us that God does test us. Maybe not in such grandiose ways. Maybe not by asking us to kill our children, <laughs> of course. But God does test us in other ways. Other equally important ways. You know, I think this meeting I had with the gentleman who was experiencing homelessness and needed a meal was a test. A test of my faith that I failed horribly. That I failed horribly. I learned a lot from that. My faith grew in the long term, and I changed and became hopefully a better person because of it, but I failed the test in the moment. You know, I think that religious folks of all stripes don't want to believe in the God who both tests us and gives us and provides for us um, out of God's own grace. And, and 
I think that folks who are really focused on the love and grace of God, including for certain many universalists, will have a hard time with the idea of God testing us. Because we want to see God as all love and all forgiving. And yet, here in this verse, we have to grapple with that, this idea that this does happen. And again, in the New Testament, when Jesus is in, the, is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is tested, he can walk away, but he decides not to. Or when he's in the wilderness being tested, it says by, by Satan, tested by the, uh, uh, the opponent. But really, just as much, being tested by God. How, what will he do? How will he react? And we can see his, his acceptance of God's will even up into death. And yet God provides for him. God provides for him through the resurrection. Provides a way out of that situation. It's a difficult reading. It's a very difficult reading. And it's one that we really have to ponder on. It's one that reminds us that we don't know everything about God. And it's not possible for us to know that God is a mystery in many ways. And just as folks who see God's love as being most important don't wish to see a God who tests us, folks who see God's justice as most important, God's testing nature as most important, don't want to see a God who loves unconditionally, a God who gives graciously, provides graciously. They want everyone to be tested, and they want people to be found lacking. And here, too, we see a core idea of the Christian universalist faith, this idea that we will be tested, that we will be uh, reprimanded, I guess. We'll, we will be corrected after death, be shown the errors of our ways, and, and be shown how being in God's presence and, and following God's commandments is a better way for our life living into what God wants us to be. But we will also be provided for. We will eventually be allowed to move beyond that. We will, we will find correction and be allowed to be one with God. It's a difficult reading. I invite you to ponder it. Really think about what it means. What does it mean to be tested by God? What are the small tests that we have every day? When is it easier for us to accept something other than what God asks us to do? It's easier when we don't have to love our neighbor. Easier when we don't have to love our enemies. Easier when we don't have to turn the other cheek. And yet, that's what God asks us to do. Amen.